Hey guys, welcome back to Couch Conversations with myself, Rani. This week, I'm talking about bereavement, grief and loss. So many people have lost loved ones during the pandemic and I thought it'd be a great time to talk about this really tough subject, something that I've been through quite a few times in my life. Um, I'm no expert, but I definitely have had a process which I wanted to share with you. Bereavement is such a tough topic. Grief, loss, all these words that people throw around, but what do they really mean? Now, bereavement is obviously obvious. It's when a loved one um, or a friend dies and there is this overwhelming sense of grief. And the grief is the process of how you feel those emotions, whether they're anger, whether they're sadness, despair, loneliness, depression, anxiety. How will you cope? How will you move on from these, you know, this, this particular time in your life? I'm going to share with you a story um, which is very painful, very close to my heart, but a journey that I've had healing from over the last few years. I'm going to talk to you about the death of my mum, which is a very tough topic, but something I feel now comfortable talking about, you know, 21 years on. When I was 16, my mum died aged 44 years old leaving behind my five-year-old sister, my brother who was 22, my sister who was 21, and myself. The lead-up to her death was tough because um, we're going back to the 2000s here, so the new millennium, you know, just kind of, I guess I want to rewind back a little bit. It was 1999, New Year's Eve, my mum's sister and her and her husband were here from America, uh, my dad, my grandparents, we'd had this big party at home um, and just after midnight we'd had a phone call regarding a family friend who are like, you know, really close family, They're like he was like my granddad and um, he had been taken into hospital and he passed away 28th of January and, you know, about, I think about three months after, so March, um, my mum went in for an operation she basically had um, achalasia, which is where your food tube stops working. So as she swallowed food, she would um, she would vomit it out because she couldn't hold it down. So each of us, when we eat, we have a muscle that opens and contracts in our in our esophagus, and um, we are able to you know have food. She couldn't do that after her operation in the March. Uh, of 2000 she had a peg feed which was essentially a tube in your stomach and she was nil by mouth so she was on these um so she was on these milk kind of nutrient cartons uh, they were called I think I can't remember what they're called nutri gen or something like that um and you know she oh gosh she you know, was someone who loved food, loved cooking for people. And so she continued making food for us. Um, but it was hard to watch, you know. And it's only now that I'm in my 30s that when I look at someone who's 44, and some of them are my aunt's age or my friend's age ages now, that I think to myself, how young? 
she was when she died. Sorry, guys. Um, so, yeah, so she, you know, had this operation, was at home on a peg feed. Um, and July, I think it's July 27th, she went for an operation. And essentially it was to um, just help her to be able to eat. But when she went in, they did the operation, which I believe was only meant to be four hours. And she was in there, I think, for 10 hours, there to close her up in between because she'd lost a lot of blood. And the strangest thing was, before she left for her operation two weeks prior, my sister and I had both hugged my mum, but something inside told us that it was going to be the last time that we saw her. And it was really tough, you know, it was, it was really tough because when you get that, 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 that feeling, that sense that this is the last time I'm going to see this person, you, you don't, you know, at that time you don't know that, you just have, you just had, just have, we just had this feeling. Almost my sister was only five, so she wouldn't have known, but I, I just knew. And I remember my neighbour Linda, who's now passed away, bless her, from cancer, she um, she said, oh, she's don't be silly. She goes, I don't know why you're crying. She goes, your mum will be home in a few days. But something just, you know, inside, we just knew she wasn't. And in the lead up to these, over these two weeks, we'd been called in twice to say that, you know, she wasn't going to make it. And then she would make it. And the third time, my uncle, my aunt said, it will come to the house. And we had essentially cleaned the house in preparation for something happening because we'd been told twice that she'd, you know, she'd, that she wouldn't make it and she did. But we just, my aunts and that felt was the right thing to do. So they came, tidied the house, got it ready. My uncle and I went to the bank and we sorted out all the paperwork. And when we got back, we were just literally walking through the alleyway. And, um, you know, my brother said, oh, we need to go. We've just had the phone call that, um, you know, that, that she's deteriorating and I'm sorry if I cry guys because it's 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 a genuine emotion that I think a lot of us feel but we're too scared to talk about that has been 21 years and it's difficult to be able to sometimes not feel that pain again so I'm just processing with you as you're listening to this I could edit it out but it will just be fake and I don't want it to be fake So our neighbour Michael drove us um, to Reading because that's where she was and um, we were called into the family room and over the course of this period of two weeks we'd been in the family room quite a lot. You don't really know what you can do, you know, in that time. We kept going in and out the ICU and coming out and, you know, talking to her but it just didn't feel like her, it didn't look like her. She looked like somebody different. And I remember this particular time, the last time, I went downstairs and I walked through this hospital and I went to the chapel and the chapel was, um, you know, they had stained glass windows and they had Jesus on all these stained glass windows. And I prayed at the altar and I prayed at every stained glass window. You know, I'm 16 here at this time. And I, I prayed to God and I said, God, please, please don't take my mum. Please don't take my mum. And 
we went back upstairs. We continued to go in and out, you know, a couple a couple at a time. But we'd been pulled into a room, into a family room this time, and they said, she, her BP is dropping, and this will be the, this is it, really. So spend as much time with her as you can. <coughs> and I remember... At some point, I must have fallen asleep because I was just so exhausted. And we were woken up, I think about 15 minutes before she passed away to say, the time is coming. And we were with her in the ICU. Um, my, one of my cousins, my siblings, my little sister, my uncle. Um, I think one of my mom's cousin's sisters was there. I don't remember who was in that room, but I... I just knew my mum wasn't there. She'd already gone. And we were with her. Till the very last beep. Um, death is hard, guys. Death is not easy. And at that time, I didn't know how to process. I was angry. I was lost. It's like my world had come completely crashing down. And I remember phoning my boyfriend at that time, but he didn't pick up. And I needed someone to talk to, even though I was surrounded by family, but we'd all just lost this incredible woman who was just so strong and had been through domestic violence and had, you know, conquered so much in her life. But was so young, 44 years old, leaving behind a five-year-old, a 16-year-old, a 21-year-old and a 22-year-old. It was hard to digest. I was numb. I was angry at God. And actually, I remember at that point is when I, when I stopped believing in God. I stopped believing in someone who I thought could save my mum. And I'm sure those of you that are listening may have been through this journey where you want them to be free from suffering but at the same time you want them there with you to share more days with you more time with you in whatever capacity that looks like so we left the hospital this is about I think quarter past three um maybe quarter to four or something I can't remember it was very early in the morning um we left the hospital and we drove to Collindale which is where my grandmother lived and you know, walked in about, I think, I don't know what time in the morning it was. And my grandmother was sat on the sofa crying. And then I remember we drove back to Milton Keynes as phone calls started to come in. And my brother and I, what I, all I remember is that we went, we each took a bed, my grandparents' bed. And we went to sleep. Because I don't know about my brother, but I definitely felt like I just wanted this all to be a like a really bad nightmare I didn't I just didn't want I wanted to wake up and for all of it to be over with at some point I, I don't remember fully I remember there was funeral arrangements made I wasn't I wasn't involved in a lot of stuff I remember I did the flowers I organized the flowers um back in Milton Keynes when I got home I remember arriving walking into the house 
as if the light of the home had left. Like I'd felt like something had just shifted in our home. It wasn't home anymore. And I just um, remember calling one of my really good friends at the time. And I just said, your mum's gone. And within about 15 minutes, she was there. She must have only been 17, 18 herself, so very young. And she arrived and um, I just remember feeling numb. I don't really remember feeling much. And then for 13 days, so obviously I was a Hindu at the time, in the Hindu way of doing things, for 13 days you mourn. And for 13 days, people came and they went. They came and they went. They came and they went. And it was just tears after tears, tears after tears. And just not wanting to eat. I remember not wanting to eat. I felt guilty for eating. I didn't want to eat. You know, I didn't even know what I was doing, really. But then I had to explain to my five-year-old sister where my mum had gone. And I had no way of telling her where she had gone because... I was never taught that. You you were you know, I was never taught what happens to your body or to your soul or whatever it is after you die. And I remember going to my neighbours next door to Linda's and I said, Do you have a Bible? And you know, I have no I had I had no way of explaining to my younger sister what mum looked like now or where she was. And she said, yeah, she said, I've got a children's Bible. So I said, can I please borrow it? And I remember borrowing the Bible, this children's Bible from Linda. And I sat down with my sister and I opened the pages of this Bible. And I said, look, there's an angel here. That's where mummy is now. Mummy's in heaven. The thing is, the Hindu way didn't teach me about heaven. It didn't teach me a way of when one's sold apart, where it goes. All I remember is these weird ceremonies. Um, and I apologise to anyone who's listening who may be a Hindu, but for me at the time, this is, how, this, is, this is what I felt and thought. You know, under the coffin, they would do symbols about, you know, where is this person going to go next? You know, are they going to have an afterlife reincarnated or are they going to go straight to heaven? And it's not till my uncle died in 2011 that I learnt that actually... Um, the soul from a Hindu perspective goes on this journey and they have to overcome obstacles and dark places and whatever it might be to get to heaven. And that when you, um, if my understanding is right, when you um, die and your ashes are spread, um, over on the 13th day, there's a prayer that happens. And on that day, your soul is released. Um, and, you know, essentially you pray for their salvation. This was the hardest death I have ever had to deal with. Ever. And I, I just couldn't comprehend or understand life. You know, at 16 years old, you know, um, you know, what do you know? What do you, what do you explain to a five-year-old that your mum's no longer here? Um, so the Bible was the only way I could explain, even though I didn't believe in the Bible at the time. I knew there was an answer there somehow that I could give to my sister. And although we don't become angels when we die, because angels are not sexual beings, they are, you know, um, godly um, workers, so to speak, um, 
I understand now what happens to a person when they die. So anyway, mum has died, you know, we've had 13 days of prayer and mourning. And then everyone left. After 13 days, everybody left. And I think it was just my grandmother that was left with us. And it was like a pin drop. The silence was just deafening. And two, I think it's two weeks later, my results came out. Not even that, actually. My mum's funeral was on the 17th of August. So I think a week later, my GCSE results came out. Um, I didn't get the best grades at all. Um, and school didn't really know what was going on. And um, so then I had to ask for um, a review because of obviously what happened. I went off to um, sixth form and um, I did a GMBQ and um, in business. And, you know, I met a group of people who were just really lovely, became really good friends with them. And I was, I was still in this relationship dating this guy. Um, and I worked hard. For a year, I just worked my socks off. I worked really hard to be able to um, just put my mind in a place that was, you know, focused on stuff. I had two part-time jobs. I used to work Thursday, Friday evenings. I used to work Saturday all day. Um, in the morning, I'd work at an IT company. Um, and then in the afternoon, I would work at um, Marks and Spencer's and then on a Sunday. I was studying full-time, working two part-time jobs, um, looking after my sister, cooking, cleaning, taking care of the house, um, and essentially trying to keep myself from, you know, being, you know, in a, in a place of depressiveness. Um, and I had, I like, my grades were ridiculous. Like, I got, like, like 98% out of 100, which I never got before. <laughs> but the problem was because I went into focus mode, because I went into this mode of just completely not wanting to think about it, I then hit depression a year later. It was not a good place to be. I felt like I was just in this darkness, this constant darkness that I couldn't get out of. I couldn't, um, you know, I was just angry. I was 16 um, you know, coming up to 17 and then, so actually just before my 18th birthday, so just over a year and a half later, um, my then boyfriend's dad had asked me, you know, when do you turn 18? Um, and I said, I'm oh, in two weeks time. Um, and he basically wanted to get us engaged. And sadly, just before my 18th, he had a heart attack. And then my relationship went downhill. It became abusive and, um, you know, physically abusive. And you just got out of control. Everything in my life was out of control. I was processing my mum's death. I was depressed. I was in a, a domestically violent relationship. I didn't know what was going on, what was happening. And, it, you know, it just kept spiralling. I went to university. I got into the wrong relationships. I drank a lot. You know, I smoked. I was in this spiral of destruction. Um, and finally, I I tried to overdose. My friends were so worried about me. They said, you need to go counselling. And this is the first step 
maybe the first step maybe maybe i think it maybe it was the first step that i actually um went counseling i may have gone counseling before but i don't i don't really remember um but i went counseling i had different sessions you know but my life was a mess like my life was literally a mess i couldn't explain to anybody and i'm not ashamed to talk about these things because this was a point in my life well over 20 years ago now um where I had no idea who I was. I had no idea what, what I was living for. I was lost. I was trying to live a life that was just so broken. You know, I, I didn't know what I was doing and I turned to alcohol, I turned to relationships, I turned to people. I had something so deep inside me missing, including who I was. Then I graduated, I didn't really drink, you know, I, yeah, I had drinks here and there and stuff like that, but I didn't, I just didn't want to do that. And I got my life back on track, but I just always felt like there was something missing. I always felt like there was something missing in my life, that there was a, this gaping hole that I couldn't explain to anybody else. And my depression carried on and it carried on and it carried on. Sometimes it was better, sometimes it wasn't. The doctors would try and put on antidepressants. And for me personally, I didn't want to go on them. You know, I know that for many of you that may be listening, if you've been through this journey, you may be on antidepressants and they may be right for you because of your medical makeup for whatever reason that might be. But for me personally, I chose to take the route of counselling um, because I believe that when you talk, you release whatever you're carrying. So... You know, we fast forward 2011, you may have heard my testimony, I won't go into all of that, but I lost my uncle, I started searching for God, encountered God, became a Christian. And then the next death that I dealt with was my grandmother's. Now my grandmother was like a mum to me, she was, oh, she was just gorgeous, she was this little doll, as I used to call her dingly, you know, dingly means doll, and she was just like this little doll, it was fiery, it was strong-headed, um, but also vulnerable and just wanting to be loved. And her and I had a relationship that was very, very close and very, very dear. She was like my, you know, mum. And I was like, to be honest, like her daughter, my mum, after mum died, you know, I went through all lots of ups and downs, but as, as I got older, so this is kind of heading towards like 26, 27, maybe a bit younger, um, you know, we became much closer and whereas before they were able to take care of my brother and my sister and, and myself, I was able to then in turn take care of them. And in turn, by taking care of them, this beautiful relationship blossomed, you know, with my grandparents. Um, my grandfather passed away in, 20, in 2011, and you'll know that from the, first, the very first um, episode of this podcast. And I went on a journey, found God, um, and with my grandmother, it was interesting. So in 2015, earlier in the year, um, I was in a church service and we were encountering the Holy Spirit. And I remember closing my eyes and I saw a picture of my grandmother hugging my grandfather and my mum. And I cried because I knew that God was saying that her time is coming. And in preparation for all of this journey, I had moved to Leamington. So I'd left London I'd moved back to Milton Keynes 
in 2013, well, in 2012. And then in 2013, end of 2013, I'd moved to Leamington. So the physical distance became greater. So I didn't see her as much, but we were still very close. Then um, in the lead up to this this whole thing, I actually rang my, my mom's siblings and I said, look, I said, I think you should come and see your mum. You know, um, I don't know how much time she'll have left. Now, normally, most people who are Christians will say, God doesn't tell us when death's going to come. I, I, I believe that's true, but I do believe that God can prepare us for something. And we may not see it then, but you will know later why. And then just before she died in the August, a couple of weeks before, I, I had that feeling again that she's going to, her time is coming. And the day before she actually, um, everything happened, my best friend came from London and she was gonna, she was staying with me and we'd gone out for a meal and she didn't feel too great. So we went back to the, we went back to my, the house I was staying at and we were just, you know, having a bit of a laugh, hang out, had a bit of food. And then I remember, I said, remind me to call my grandmother. And she did. She, she reminded me to call my grandmother. And I said, I, I said, it's fine. I'll call her tomorrow morning. I said, it's late now. But the following morning, when I was having breakfast, I found a voicemail on my phone. And I listened to the voicemail. And I remember I just sank onto the floor and it was a phone call from my my, my grand's neighbor saying something's happened to your grandmother the police are here can you call me back and so I did and when I called back the police officer spoke to me and he told me what happened and I just remember crouching down and my best friend and my housemate were looking at me and I said, I'll be there as soon as I can. And the police officer was so lovely. He said, where do you live? And he goes, okay. He goes, well, we'll be two or three hours before we know anything. So he knew that I would go into panic mode. He knew how to keep me calm. And he knew exactly what he needed to say. So my best friend and I, we left, drove to London. On the way, I called family and just said, look, this is, this is it now. You know, my bro cousin, brother and his mum had arrived at the hospital. And when I got there, they called me in. And, you know, she was in a bed and um, they just said, you know, there's nothing much we can do for her, really. And um, I became, again, once again, I had to bear the news to the family. So I remember um, just, you know, dealing with what I had, had to do. I went into, you know, that mode of, OK, right, what do I need to do now? And I remember calling all the family and saying, look, this is it. This is the this is the journey. Um, it's coming to an end and, you know, I don't know how quickly you can get here because her kids are obviously in America. Um, and then they said, you know, we want to try and we want to try and save her. So they moved her from that hospital to another hospital. And again, once again, we gathered and they said, we tried and there's nothing we can do. Um, and we waited and finally we all got into the room with her. We surrounded her and I remember saying, Mum, I love you. And a tear dropped out of her eye. And I read messages to her from, you know, my, my cousins and family members who couldn't make it. 
um, being in America. And um, I remember saying our goodbyes and I remember screaming because I, you know, she was my mum. She was my second mum. 16 years I'd had my own mum. 16 years I'd had my grandmother. So for me, both losses were equal. And in fact, I probably knew my grandmother more than I knew my mum. Um, it was a very different perspective. My grandmother was 84. My mum was almost half her age. But the difference was with my grandmother, I had sat and prepped with her, even though she was healthy and she was doing fine at the time, a year, well a year before, maybe even the beginning of that year, I said, we're not being think grim about this. I said, but let's get all your, you know, everything in order. Tell me who you want to give stuff to. What do you want to wear on your funeral? What food do you want me to feed people? What, do, you know, we, we literally set, we, we had done a funeral plan for her and she had told her children and the family this is the plan. I've done it with Rani. She knows what, exactly what needs to happen. So we had already planned everything. And everything that happened at her funeral was according to how I discussed it with her. All her belongings, who they went to, was discussed as she as she had wanted. Because I knew, as, as every family does, and I don't care which family you are, how nice you are, how kind you are, there's always politics around the time of a family death. Because people aren't thinking straight. There's emotions are high. You know, we all want to remember and hold on to what we can with what we can and what we have. So there is a lot of emotions and a lot of stuff that happens in that time, you know. But the difference was, because I'd pre-planned everything with her, um, even when the time came, there was a lot of stuff that was not in place, especially when my grandfather passed away. But when it came to my grandmother's death, because we had already organised everything, we still had to do the main funeral arrangements, etc., you know, all those things. But I, I, I had booked a hall. We decided not to have the 13 days at home. We still did some stuff. Um, but what we did is we just had a one, one day of prayer. And I remember I, the incredible peace I felt over that period. This peace which surpassed all understanding, as God says, it was just so different. And I remember my mum's sister-in-law saying to me, Beta, which means child or daughter, you just have this incredible peace. You know, how come? And I just pointed up and I said, because of him, because of God. So the whole process, A, I had no regrets, apart from not calling my grandmother the day before. I had no regrets over her life over the time I'd spent with her, the relationship we'd had. You know, for me and my grandmother, we had this mother-daughter relationship. We'd organised her, her her funeral, even though she was nowhere near death, we'd organised it because often in the Indian culture, we don't want to talk about death. We don't want to organise our will. We don't want to organise things. And with my mum, things were quite messy. With my grandmother, I just wanted to make sure that everybody had what they, what they were supposed to have, you know, fair and square. Um... And my grandmother was just so, like, loving and kind um, and fiery at the same time, you know. But the difference was I was able to understand that now, as a Christian, there is salvation whilst we live. We don't have to wait till we die, till there's a ritual or a prayer for us to be saved and to have a relationship with God. I know and understand that we don't become angels when we die. We are, you know, our, our 
soul has departed and, and it is with God or, or wherever we are, you know, in this journey. And I'm, I, I have that, that closure knowing that I was able to do everything I could do for her. And I, I'm sure some of you have felt regrets. I'm sure some of you have felt survivor's guilt. I'm sure some of you have felt like you don't have closure. And I have to say, I'm so thankful that I've had closure in losing loved ones and being able to be with them in their last moments. That's also not an easy journey to take, but it's one that I'm grateful for. But for some of you, you may have lost family members through suicide. You may have lost family members who are young and, you know, have died because of COVID or have died, you know, through an illness. But the thing is, bereavement had been a journey in my family. My uncle died when he was 25 in a car accident with his eight-month-old daughter. My aunt left widowed um, at 26, 27 and had dedicated her life to, you know, loving other people and being there for other people. And often we can throw ourselves into loving others, being there for other people but ourselves. And this is one thing I will say to you, is that whilst that is good and it's great to be there for other people, you need to process death. You have to process your emotions, your grief and what you're going through, not from a selfish perspective, but actually when you deal with things head on, you can make such a difference to those people around you. You can go through the process of grief when you understand it. Because often what we want to do is we want to we want to shut people out. We don't want to let people in. You know, we are frustrated and not really sure what we're doing or, you know, why am I here today? Why am I still living this life when they're not here? And the one thing that is really difficult to grapple with is that someday all of us all of our lives will come to an end. But it's what you do with your dash. I remember this from a personal training course, coaching course. And it was, um, what are you going to do with the time that you have here on earth? Because none of us know how much time we have other than God. Only he knows the beginning and the end. When we talk about suffering, we think about the Easter period. We think about Jesus dying on the cross. God sent his one and only son to be a sacrifice for us so that we can live in freedom that we don't have to live in sin that we don't have to live in a in a way that is gonna um crumple our whole life up you know god is there to work through that mess to work through those tough times with you and god is with you in your mourning he's with you in your grief he i mean jesus grieved when lazarus died you know one of his friends God knows our pain, he knows our emotions, he knows the things that we go through. And here I'm talking about physical death, you know, people physically dying. But there is also loss of friendships, there is loss of people in our lives. There are people that we just miss. There are people that we want to have a relationship with, but for whatever reason we can't. And sometimes it's best that we don't, and sometimes, you know, there is unforgiveness, there is pain, there is hurt. And we haven't dealt with that. Maybe you've lost a family member to drugs or alcohol. But we are all children of God. With all our mistakes, with all our pain, with all of our mess, 
we are all children of God. A lot of people talk about when it comes to death, it's one of the key questions. People say, I don't really believe in God. I'm not religious or I'm not that spiritual. Having a relationship with God is not a religion. It's a relationship between you and your creator. It's allowing God into that space to come and heal. It doesn't matter what kind of exercise you go and do and how much you go to the gym or how much you go and see your friends and your family. Your pain is your pain and you have to deal with it. Some people's way of dealing with things, unfortunately, is going down the wrong path in life. Some of the top things I will say to you, and I'm, I'm genuinely saying this because I really do believe it doesn't help. If you are going through a grieving process, try and avoid drinking alcohol. It may feel like it helps. It may numb the pain for a little while. But actually what it does, it is not good for those that are going through depression or feeling low in mood. Stay away from alcohol because you're able to then process your thoughts much more clearly. You know, and grief doesn't happen. You don't kind of go, okay, a year later, right, ta-da, I'm, I'm, I'm good, I'm done. You've just heard me crying at the beginning of my podcast 21 years later because that pain that one feels can be fine for years on end. It can be fine for months on end. But sometimes it just comes up because it's a loss. It's someone that you loved, that you cared about, that was a big part of your life. And if it's your parents, I mean, goodness me, that's like one of the hardest things to lose. But for my grandmother on the flip side, she lost her children. I can't imagine the pain that she went through in losing her child and her granddaughter eight months old or my aunt losing her daughter at eight months old. And then having me at four months old, my mum, you know, I was there at four months old and thinking, my daughter's not here. You know, like I can't imagine, like you, death is something that is just so painful to deal with, but we don't have to go through it alone. And I think that's the biggest difference. A, I was older with my grandmother, but also I just had this incredible peace because of God being with me on that journey and that doesn't mean that I don't grapple with things or that I don't you know that life's easy and hunky-dory of course it's not but as you grieve people whether through death or through a death of a relationship we have a choice we have a choice to live our life in the best way that we possibly can to remember those people for the lives they lived what did you learn from them what values did you take from them what was the one thing that you want to take from that person, you know, from their life that they lived. Maybe it's the kindness they showed to people. Maybe it's the love they showed to people. You know, my mum was a wonderful and generous human being that if you came to our house, she would feed you. If you went into her wardrobe for whatever reason, you you know, um, I remember one of her friends came and they liked her sari. She was like, oh, I'll just take it. Like she didn't think, she didn't have this attachment to things. She was someone who gave freely and who loved freely. And I think for for a lot of us, that is something that we don't always understand. So when you are dealing with grief and loss, take your time. There is literally no right or wrong way of grieving in the respect that don't take drugs and alcohol. Really does not help. I don't know about the drugs, but alcohol definitely doesn't help. Um, take your time. Journal if you need to, walk if you need to, go on holidays if you need to, whatever it is that will help you to understand and cope with the loss that you've had. Walk with people, talk to people, go counselling. There is nothing wrong. And I know this from a South Asian perspective, it's so difficult 
to get people to go to therapy because they think there's something wrong with them, particularly if you're a man. It does not matter. At the end of the day, God wants to heal you. He wants to be in your pain with you. He wants to walk with you on that journey. Do not push it to one side because I believe that there, that that you can delay that process and it can be far worse later on or you can deal with it, you know, in that time period. Walk with God on that journey. I know some of you don't believe in God if you're listening, but I know some of you do. And I just want to show you the process. When I didn't have God in my life, I was in a dark, depressed, empty state. When I have God, even though I have felt pain and I have felt lost through friendships, I've lost friends, you know, um, not to death, but just the death of that relationship. It's hard, particularly because you want to reach out to those people. You want to show that you love them, that you care about them. But you can't because sometimes in life things are just best left alone. So however you're dealing with your, you know, whatever you're battling with in terms of your loss you know, whether it's someone actually physically dying or whether it's the death of a relationship or losing someone. Process that in the way that is going to be helpful to you to learn from. Take your time. You know, you can be grieving for 10, 15 years. Nobody understands that loss but you because it's your loss with that person. Everyone may have had a different relationship with that person and they may deal with things in their own way. But I've also seen when people don't grieve or they don't deal with death, the anger that is in people for years and years later, because they're still holding on to something that should have been dealt with years ago. So take your time, breathe, do what you need to do. And just remember that you're not alone on this journey of grief and loss and mourning. God is with you. Your friends, your, your friendship circle around you you know, try and avoid things like alcohol and things like that, especially when you're grieving because they really do mess with your mind. Um, and just take time to write down your thoughts and your feelings, which may sound like a real, you know, therapist thing to say, but it's, it's genuinely, that's the best way. Songwrite if you're a writer, you know, maybe paint or do something creative if you're that kind of person. If you're a walker or a hiker, do things that are fun, but do it because you want to do it not because you're trying to face the fear of death or because you're trying to face and do things to make up for the stuff that you should be doing because that person didn't get a chance to do. Do it because it's your life. Often we can end up living our lives for other people that have passed away because we feel like we have to make up for the loss of their life. That's not how things work. Your life is a gift for you. You have a purpose. You have a calling on your life. It may be that you get involved with a charity to help you know, um, whatever the disease might be that your family member or your friend died from. Um, but whatever you do, process that grief. Don't throw yourself into something. Don't let it become your mission because you feel like you have to prove a point or that you want to do something. There's nothing wrong with helping people, absolutely. There's nothing wrong in getting involved in charities and helping people, absolutely not. But just make sure you're doing it for the right reasons because you want to. Because otherwise you're living your life for somebody else and not for yourself. It is really sad when we lose loved ones. It is really sad when, you know, when they when they when they pass on. And I think it's really great when people do get involved with charities. But don't make it your mission if it's not meant to be for you. And maybe it might be God uses our experiences, you know, to help people. God help you know, God uses our 
our trauma and our pain to bring us to a different place later on in our life to maybe go and help somebody in that situation but it may not be your calling it may not be your purpose do not make something your purpose which God has not given to you and that's not to say he won't use those experiences you've been through to help you and help other people so I'm going to leave you with that there's a lot of thoughts there there's a lot of things that have happened in that situation I've just discussed but feel free to just you know reach out or get in touch um, you know, via Instagram, Rani Rain with an E, um, drop me a message. You know, if you're someone who's struggling with grief, um, there are plenty of charities out there who can help you. Um, for South Asians, there is, I think, there's South Asian therapist, which is which is a good Instagram to use and go and look at. Um, it's Kairos. There are so many different platforms. If you yourself are suffering with depression and anxiety, you are not alone. Take time to breathe, take time to process and remember that life is a gift and you've got it right now, enjoy it. So until next time guys, um, take care, God bless and keep shining your light.